0: Just go to indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions
1: apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Hack It Out Golf Podcast. We're talking approach play mistakes today. Today's pod hopefully will help you maybe hit one or two extra greens to help you lower your scores or maybe even more extra greens let's get into approach play and see if we can help you out um, sticking those irons a little closer Lou and Scott welcome approach play chats today how's your approach plays both of you my approach plays lets me down at the minute it used to be quite a skill but as I've got older I'm worse Lou and Scott how's I your haven't missed play? a
2: green yet this year I'm doing pretty good <laughs> Uh, I yeah. haven't hit a green yet either though so I yeah. guess I guess the the devil's always in the details. Yeah, absolutely. Usually I'm a pretty good ball striker. Usually I hit a lot of greens.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I can hit greens. Uh, I'm just not very good at ever hitting anything very close, including wedges. So I, I, I'm as close proximity often from 200 yards as I am from 120, which upsets me. Is that um, actual fact?
2: I mean, I know it's you actually not. Do track it's not an actual
1: fact. No, they, I am between. closer when we have smaller clubs. But if you play with me, the, my hybrids are like my. I'm quite good with my hybrids. So you put me 200 to 20. I'm hitting the greens quite a lot for that length of shot so people often remember that and then with a wedge i'll stick it to 40 foot quite easily like i will with a hybrid to get 20 to 40 foot and it's like i should have been 200 yards out maybe i should lay up to 100 but we'll come to that (laughs) i think we're gonna get to
2: that here in a little bit (laughs) Yeah,
1: absolutely and lou your approach play what is it one of your skills gone you drive it long Uh, we know but we don't talk approach play much
0: well um i fire at every flag Uh, i'm always (laughs) trying to shape it in there (laughs) Um, so you, you can imagine it's pretty solid um, <laughs> no I mean last week when I played uh, I made triple from 87 yards in the fairway and double from 81 yards in the fairway so my approach play can be a little spotty at times I'd you, say <laughs> your wedge
2: play sounds suspect it, it
0: was a little suspect yeah the first one it was on a downslope and I bladed it and I, I kid you not it um it probably flew like 120 in the air. If it was a ballada, it would have been, it would have sliced. been toast. Yeah, it went, yeah, absolutely. flew OB. And, and so approach play is absolutely the weakest part of, of my game skill wise, for sure. It's not for lack of picking intelligent targets. It's just for, it's my least skilled area.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting if you look at approach play on strokes gained from amateur golfers, it's a massive loss. You know, it is often, if not the biggest loss for most golfers. So hopefully our five approach play mistakes, if we can get people thinking this way, they should hit one or two more greens. And that's the thing when I look at um, scoring averages and and stats from amateur golfers like some amateur golfers to get to their next level of handicap they want to achieve you know like your 12 handicap and wanting to get the single pickets it's one or two more greens around often it's not like you have to hit it eight more greens it's it's very small margins so let's kick it off with number one number one i'm gonna say is patterns so is this fair guys i'm saying so i see golfers not really understand their patterns the amount of golfers, that i see um, when i go out on the course with them and i would explain like my 19 degree hybrid i'll aim at the left side of the green because it tends to move to the right uh my nine iron i'll fire it more at target subject to where troubles are um if for any reason the winds off the right say i know my nine iron has a tendency if it wants to turn a bit left easier than my hybrid so I'm i'm aiming subject to the patterns, subject to the different lofts in my bag. And this is something I see lots of golfers not doing enough. They literally aim all shots as the same. Also what I see, which I think is really interesting is I see golfers who wanna improve trying to get the same shot with every club. So if they see nice draws with nine iron, eight iron, seven irons, and let's say they carry a five iron or four iron or three iron, and whatever equivalent clubs, hybrids, utility irons, whatever they want to call those number of clubs, um, you know, that distance of club in, they fight the more repeatable pattern with those clubs. And that always baffled me when I was coaching full, full time. I would just think, well, that fade with your free iron is just like consistent every shot. Why would you not just aim for that? Well, I want to see a draw. Is that a fair one to start us off? Patterns, guys, what do you think? I don't know if this actually fits in exactly with what you're saying. I mean, it does,
2: but... One of the main things I actually see slow speed players doing quite a bit is they try to draw their driver and then fade their irons because they think the draw is going to go longer with the driver and then the fade is going to stop faster with the irons. And it's just interesting because it actually works pretty much the exact opposite of that typically if you've got a player because the ball's up in your stance. So the clubhead with the driver, clubhead's tending to exit left. So your path is exiting a little bit further left. And then with your shorter irons, the ball's back in your stance and they're trying to hit these fades. A lot of people really, and again, I don't think that applies exactly what you're saying, but that's all I was thinking about while you were talking about trying to hit certain shapes of certain clubs. I see a lot of, a, a lot of female college players specifically is what's coming to my mind. I hear college coaches talking about that a lot and they're really fighting the golf swing. Like you say, they're trying to do things that the swing just shouldn't really be creating with those, Clubs, like I said, I don't feel like that ties in exactly what you're saying, but I think that's an important point to make to people to, to realize they're, they're really working hard against the, the ball position as much as anything.
1: What's interesting with that point, Scott, as well, I did some tests when I was coaching a lot, um, which I found really interesting, is that some golfers, and it was player-specific, would swing faster out to in than they ever would into out and vice versa. So I've had, you know, I've had really good players, fringed European tour players who swung it faster with a fade by a swing in a driver. Say, you get them to hit into out and they're two mile an hour slower. Really? And yeah, it's amazing. It's player specific subject if they feel more comfortable going up and down because up and down with good players generally follow patterns as up is out for a good player. Does that make sense? If you're getting up, they tend to you want to hit out Think Rory, um, and down is left often for players. So let's say they like the club moving down as they hit the ball. That's how they feel. They can move it the fastest. Then they're going to be down and left and cut it. Um, and there was not many patterns. It wasn't as it wasn't as. Um, cut and thrust, you know it wasn't as black and white as i was expecting to do when i went into it it's a quite a small study but i started watching it with lots of students and then testing them um it was so player and matchup specific so match up to what they want to do with the face and their wrist and everything else as um, always i
2: defer to the to you as the instructor on the podcast but doesn't that fly in the face of like d plane theory like hitting down and then the club still moving left doesn't the hitting down typically tend to kick the path to the right or, or are you just saying
1: no, so you, what? You're, that's a real common misconception, and I wish we had visuals more here. It would make it. This is so it's so easy to explain. If I've got my hula hoop going down, makes the path more right of where it will be when it's going up, but it could still be ten left.
2: Down and left. Yeah. No, I so know that. I'm so, so let's they, pretend. They so let's pretend when each
1: you. Other. Yeah, they do. But let's say you're let's say you're hitting down, and your club path is ten left. When the club, if you just hit the ball further on in your arc and the club was now moving up it would be further left than where it was but it's still left still left. when d playing first came out people used to say if you hit down it'll go it it swing path club path goes to the right no it doesn't you can hit down and hit 20 left i assure you i've done it i can do it there's students who do it naturally so you're kind of right but you're not quite right as in it's 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 more right than where it is when it comes up the other side, but it's yeah. not right of zero, if that makes sense. I, I'm doing yeah. a lot of hand signals with um, Scott there, which you can't <laughs> see on the podcast to try and make that clearer. You, basically, all you need is a hula hoop with a pencil stuck on the end, and it makes it so obvious. It's yeah. really easy to explain it. No,
2: I, I understand that. I'm just saying that's the person kind of coming over the top to hit that down. But like all things being equal. And again, this is where I just always think of my own game and swing. I can draw my short irons a heck of a lot easier than I can draw a four iron. And I, I personally believe that's because of ball position and what I think is a relatively neutral overall swing path. Again, I, I know there's more to it than just that, but and I it's feel face like plane
1: that- tilt. So obviously as the club is more lofted, the higher it goes up, the more left it points. So it's easier to get that face Left yeah. of a path, basically.
2: Well, you are using uh, a lot of hand signals today. They, they were, yeah, they were, those know, hand they're, signals they're, to the was, audience, they were I, spot on. I know <laughs> exactly what he's talking about.
1: If I could see what he was saying, I reckon that would make sense. Most people. <laughs> um, Lou, patterns. I'm sure, do you play patterns in your game or do you fight your patterns? So let's say your longer clubs fade and your shorter clubs draw. I don't know, they do. Let's would you play that or would you fight that? Another day is here and
0: you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Um, I, whatever, whatever's going on that day is generally what I, what I play with. I mean, I try yeah. to have a, a specific shot shape, but it doesn't always work. Right. I mean, I think the, 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 body is a funny thing and, and sometimes, especially players at my skill level, like there's a big gap between players like me and players like, you know, you and Scott, your consistency is so much different than mine. And, and there's sometimes where I'm just delivering the face a little bit differently. And and my fade turns into, you know, a little bit of a pull draw. And so on those days, I I try to play with what's going on those days. Um, And sometimes that's challenging. Like when you're, when it's not going what you typically expect, it's it can be challenging to make that adjustment or maybe challenging to trust that, that, that adjustment, I think is really where it comes in for me.
1: That's a really good point. When I was teaching full time, I used to say to students, "How many times would you bang your head against that brick wall?" So what happens is they're aiming straight and they cut it off to the right. They're aiming straight and they cut it off to the right. They're aiming straight and they cut it off to the right. Like, what? How many times are you going to bang your head against that brick wall? Like, I could tell. (laughs) I would say to them, like, I could tell you to aim left, which I'm now going to because you're not reacting to any of those shots. But if you're doing that on the course, you are having one of the most unenjoyable days you've ever had in your life. Now, you're coming to me for lessons, and, yeah, we want to fix techniques and change shot shapes and get dispersions tighter and get you striking it better, but you're not going to as much as you want. You're going to still make mistakes. You've got to react to those mistakes. The amount of times I've started rounds, you know, trying to hit – a little draw for let's pretend and it's a big draw and literally by the third hole I am running away and hitting little cuts on everything just front right front right I can find that ball front right front right I don't care I just want to stop making doubles I just want to (laughs) grind out pars and I'll just change you know I'll just literally swap on that day and I'm not saying you know because lots of amateurs can't do that as easily but you know if you hit three pull T shots, let's get the fourth one aiming up the right. Let, don't, that's the pattern today. Let's play it. Let, let's get the most out of what today will be. Um, patterns, definitely. And I think patterns through lofts. I see patterns through lofts and amateurs just not being willing to change. Almost like it's a, I want to beat this. Trouble with wanting to beat it. You know, always wins in golf. It's golf. Golf wins constantly. We lose. It wins. <laughs> Ask Tiger Woods, best player of all time. Like Lou who is Tiger Woods? Is he the goat, Lou, or what? He's he is absolutely the goat. (laughs) But he lost more than he won, did he not? He's 22% success rate or whatever his career. So he
0: he lost more than he won, but he's he's, definitely the goat.
1: Yeah, but but do you see what I mean? The best in the world is getting handed a big portion of humble pie a lot of times like we're getting handled handed massive portions of it <laughs> all
2: the time. sadly i would field some bets right now that he never loses again on the pga tour yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh, interesting i might take that bet i might yeah, take that I, I think tiger's got a little magic left in him i think we'll yeah. see him back and i think he will win again
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't think so
2: I don't oh, know. I'm man. out of this. No chance. Zero. Really? Zero.
0: <laughs> Why do you say zero? You don't think he'll, re- you don't think his he'll play leg again? is
2: so shattered. Yeah. He has, he, I will be stunned if he plays competitively again. Really? Totally stunned. Unfortunately. I, not- I
0: read some, some recaps from some physicians after not too long after the accident. And, um, there were a couple of surgeons that I saw comment that, um, and I think they were speculating a little bit without all of the details, but they said, you know, if this and this, then, you know, he, he can recover to a point where he would be able to play again. So I hope that's the case because I'd, I'd oh, I to do see too. Play again. I mean, yeah.
2: 2019 was such a tease. <clears throat> I hope he does too, but I, I want, I've heard
0: never count out the do, goat.
1: Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing. You do learn with Tiger to never say never with him, which is one yeah, of his most amazing. He can things.
0: share a cart with John Daly yeah yeah there's
1: not much room for him in there with john daly though is there <laughs> uh, <ooh. laughs>
0: john, play john it went
1: quiet then yeah
0: i've always i'm, I'm a john daly speaking? fan i like john so i, I love john daly him. i've
1: interviewed john daly he was the best, one of oh, yeah? the best interviews yeah. i've ever done he was such a cool guy we met at 8 a.m we will get back to the top five or biggest approach mistakes maybe maybe we won't yeah um he he turned up at like 8 a.m or 8 30 or might have even been 7 30 it was an early start and he had a coke you know a coke other drinks are available he had a fizzy pop drink in a cup that we used to call american size like i've never seen a cup this big (laughs) Uh, i like giggled with him saying oh what you got in there like coca-cola or something and he went yep uh, it's eight in the morning, John. Like I honestly, yeah. I've never. I, when, seen he was, that. The, when, it when he was, when he was also, huge, and he was just sipping like the most sugary drink at eight in the morning. That's I'll the start of the day. My though. one
2: daily story was the when he was suspended from the PJ Tour in either '94 or 5, He was the volunteer assistant for Arkansas, and I was paired with Arkansas, and I can't remember where it was, but he was he was there, and he walked with the uh, didn't walk. He was with the player that I was with the entire day, and he had at least. A diet coke per hole and at least two <laughs> cigarettes per hole. That's it amazing. was the most. He's a legend.
0: Like, he, he literally he, he might is the be, guy, Lou. He he might be the one of the most talented, if not the most talented golfer to play the game. And yeah, way ahead we, of his yeah. time. He was yeah, sending it,
1: was. it before anyone thought sending it was a thing to do. He had one strategy. Just send it. As buy. He was miles ahead of his time. He just didn't really know he was ahead of
2: his time. We, we could have a John Daly him. appreciation podcast. Yeah we, yeah, we should. we should. We
0: should try he to get late. him on yeah we should
1: do great I to get you him would. on yeah, and he would come on him. around the masters if the spectators love, are there, I'd and he love was to at have his bus yep. he yeah. parks his bus at hooters car park I will, to, the, I will go to i will go to the
0: bus and we can record from the bus
1: yeah so. that's it that's it he was really honest in his re- interview which i loved yeah. and, and he, yeah. he, he he expressed it, it like i've never heard it how much he despised Curtis Strange. Like he just literally. (laughs) Oh, then we definitely need him. Yeah, I've never, I was interviewing him and he started and I thought he was joking he kept going. I was thinking, oh yeah, he like hates him. This is brilliant they don't seem like
2: they're two peas in a pod that's
0: for sure no
1: no you couldn't get more (laughs) opposite basically um so patterns golfers learn your patterns don't fight the patterns play your patterns of the day is a really good idea if you actually want to get around your golf course and i used to say to students you need to be able to have a parachute like when things are going off you need to have some kind of shot a punch shot a feeling like a different shape Play in your twenty yard cut, whatever it is, to allow you to get round there. Otherwise yeah. people foot just wedge, get upset. Foot
0: wedge works real well in that foot case. Wedge, foot absolutely. Wedge. A hole in the pocket so you can jiggle a ball down the pant leg. And that works well too. <laughs>
1: So, number two, um, Scott said um, not understanding people's, uh, the distances. People don't understand what distance they hit approach shots. Scott was one of your points. And I then put something else on top of that, which was um, learning how to play slopes and deal with weather, which I see him as all it, it, it inter- kind of twined. You, you don't think people understand how far they each club that well. Is that fair to say?
2: Well, I mean, I've got uh, the, the image that I refer to all the time in the decade app and in my seminar is number 15 at innisbrook it's 195 yard par three the day that i'm talking about it and the wind was about 10 miles an hour off the left on friday i think it was 2018 and the shot pattern on tour was 50 yards deep and even those guys just struggle when they're trying to hit different shots than just their stock shot and there's just no way that shot patterns again on tour should be that deep and the vast majority of people, which is what we're going to come up with another point is coming up short, but like people just play for that 80th percentile shot all the time. And like, by definition, it doesn't happen very often. So, yeah, uh, yeah people just have no clue how far they hit the ball. And, you know, the, the question I get all the time then is, OK, well, how do we figure that out? And I think you need to take over the course of, you know, hopefully you have access to some sort of a launch monitor and or, or you can, you know, use Google Earth and measure your range, certain points now And hit, you know, 20 shots-ish. I usually tell people to hit clubs three clubs apart, so like a six and a nine iron, a four and a seven iron, so they don't overlap the shot patterns. And hit alternate clubs back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, or two or three in a row. And get, you know, 10 or 20 shots with each club over the course of about two weeks. So you got about 100 shots with each one. Throw out the 25% shortest and average the rest. And that's how far you hit that club. And I guarantee you, it will be about a half a club shorter than you think. And once you start understanding that and then start really understanding back to shot patterns, I mean, I, I don't care if you're, if your perfect eight iron is 150 and you're 145, you need to go ahead and try to hit a perfect eight iron. And then you need to trust that 75th percentile math because it will probably be about 145. And it's just so hard to. To aim at a flag and know you've got five yards. I shouldn't say no, you got five yards too much club, but know you potentially have five yards too much club. But guess what? If you try to hit it pin high, I guarantee you, you have 10 to 15 yards too little club more often than you have five yards too much club from when you over it, you know, when you happen to pure it. It's just, yeah. it's just the way it works, and it works that way on the PGA Tour. It works that way for 10 handicaps. Tour player's 80th percentile shot is closer to that average I mentioned so it seems like they can get away with it more, but even they have no idea. I mean, again, I've, the, the, another thing that I talk about is I've got Aaron Wise. I had him hit 10, or excuse me, 20, 110-yard sand wedges, and he had 16 of them come up short of 110 yards. Now, his average was 108, but if every time, if I were catting for Aaron and every time he was 110, I told him he was 112, he would actually be a materially better player. And as, you know, Lou and everyone who strokes gain knows, As you start getting that six foot closer, I mean, especially once you start getting inside of 10 feet with those wedges, the expectation goes through the roof and, uh, it's just so simple. Just understanding how far you hit each club, carry, carry each club specifically.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lou, your buddies are they any good at understanding how far they hit each club? I know you are because I mean I've seen you test the nine iron when you sent your stuff over for your swing video that we looked at. You know, I could see that you were very in tune, obviously understanding how far you hit clubs. But what about your buddies? Are they no, just more? I, I mean, over, I think yeah. that's
0: a problem. The, the worse of a player you are, I think the bigger the problem gets, but the problem exists in the PGA tour as well. If I was a caddy on tour, I would lie to my player on every approach shot without question. I well, would I've add said that, before. I and did
2: I, that to Zal
0: Yeah. And right. I would have a sliding scale. I actually did this with a friend of mine who's a pretty good player and we had a sliding scale and uh, you know, let's just say, I don't remember what it is. I don't have it in front of me, but let's say from a hundred yards, we would add two yards and, and every 20 yards out, we'd, we'd add another two yards. So if he was 200 yards out, we'd add 10 yards to his shot and he'd play his 200 yard shot. Like it was two ten.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and then from the rough, we added even more, but we had this sliding scale where he was adding yardage to whatever his number was so that he would, he would do a better job at not coming up short so much, which is a, problem even on the pga tour Um, they they come up short way more than they than they hit it past the hole and and um uh, there's some really cool stats i have around how different they are to front pins and back pins and scott and i were actually looking at this the other day and it is a material difference with how often uh, they hit greens for, to a front pin versus a back pin. And that's because to a front pin, they don't have as much room and, and they are coming up short. And when they come up short, they're missing the green. And it's a significant delta between a front and a back pin uh, for each yardage. Uh, I've and got it right the here. Best players I've, on the planet.
2: I've got it right here. The, the, this, this one's the one that's amazing to me. 140 to 160 Front pin, green and regulation was 70.1%, back pin was 77.2, 160 to 179. I mean, keep in mind, these are the same length shots, 160 to 179, 57.5% versus 71.6. That's incredible. And 180 to 199, 49.5% to front hole locations, 63.6 to back hole locations. That's unreal.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And that's and that's all because they think they hit the ball farther than they actually do. Yeah, the best players on the planet do not make perfect contact all the time. And when you don't make perfect contact, the ball isn't going to go as far.
2: I mean, I, I believe I've told this story on the podcast before, but I'll tell it again since hopefully we're growing our listener base. When I caddied for Zal Torres when he won the U.S. Junior, there was a number of times that I would laser the flag and and I would be trying to think in my head, what number do I need to lie to him to get him to hit the club and the shot that I want him to hit? Yeah, for And sure. he would be like, what's the distance? I'm like, I can't quite hit the flag. And he's like, well, give it to me. I'm like, no, I'll get it. I'll get it. Because I'm just thinking like, What am I gonna tell him? Like he's actually 145. Okay, if I tell him 153, he'll hit the wedge I want him to hit here, and I'd be like 153, and he's like, doesn't look that far. I know, kind of (laughs) weird.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, again, that's a simple tip that lots of people have talked about. I've talked about it in videos. Um, You know, just. Good gap testing and then adding all the variables on top of that. You know, I like another thing
0: that I think is really important in my opinion, and it comes into play on some courses more than others for those pesky courses that still have trees, which <laughs> is, is an abomination in my opinion. Um, not only do I want the players that I work with to know how far they hit the ball. I also want them to know how high they hit the ball because that does come into play. And there's plenty of situations where like, you know, you referenced my buddies, I'll be playing with my buddies and you know, he's got, there's a tree in front of him and it's, uh, and, and guess what? You can use Google earth to find these things out. People always kind of slam Uh, Google Earth and mapping out golf courses and it's 2D. Well, Google Earth has elevation information. So not only can I tell the elevation difference between a tee box and a fairway and a fairway and a green, but I can look at the height of trees and I can take, put notes on my scorecard. So if I, if I'm in a situation where a tee shot could very well end up behind some tall trees, I want to be able to know how tall those trees are Uh, And I want to be able to know how high I typically hit my shot. And, And that way I can have a really good idea on whether or not I can hit my ball over a tree i was playing one time with a friend and he had a, a shot the tree was 140 feet tall it was gi- a gigantic tree right and he's like oh yeah i can definitely hit my nine or nine iron over that and we weren't <laughs> too far away from it and i'm like there's no way you can hit it and i had notes in my book and I'm like this that's how tall the tree is you cannot hit it over it he's like i got this all day and yeah, he buries yeah. it about three quarters of the way up the tree <laughs> um and i so i think knowing height of your shots is also important as well, well
2: knowing where that apex is, is spe- specifically with driver so when you if you carry driver <laughs> Uh, you know in that 280 range whatever i understand we're talking about good players here but that apex at 100 to 120 or 30 feet is going to be at about 200 to 210 i believe it's about
0: two-thirds of the way there it's kind of a rough estimate it's about two-thirds of the way is where your apex will be rough estimate
2: yeah, yeah. And, and that's what i've told people before like they'll go see a corner and they're like oh i can carry that i'm like well you can carry it if it was 50 yards shorter yeah exactly gotta, like and yep. i i it is google earth is getting a lot better but you can even you know when you're playing your practice around like literally just stand there through the laser and just laser up to Obviously, you got to do a little trigonometry in your head just to back it off a little bit. But uh, you can get a pretty good feel for where those trees and in the, in the heights are. And uh, like you say, the satellites catch a hard time. But, you know, the Monday the, the Monday qualifier guy, he's catting for, uh, for Mark Baldwin this week in the PGA Tour event. And Mark landed at one thirty in the morning in Reno, played the golf course blind after mapping it out on Google Earth. Blind, shot seven or eight under, and Monday qualified into a tour event this week. I, yeah,
0: I can't. You know you're you're so right that there's so much you can glean from looking at courses on Google Earth. And when I work with players one-on-one, part of what I go through is mapping out a golf course. And we we always start with a golf course that they know really well. Mm-hmm. And 99.9% of the time, it's a golf course I've never played before. And I can't tell you how many times I go through. We'll pick a hole. And I'll be, and I, and I show them all the things that I look at when I'm I'm mapping out a golf course and I will find things on the green, like, you know, here, there's a false front right here. Like I can see there's a false front. It starts maybe four or five yards on and they're like, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a false front there. And that would change where your targets might be. And it would change um, how you're going to approach that hole. And I learned that. By looking at elevation on Google earth, I didn't walk the golf course backwards. I didn't have to play it a hundred times. I, I learned it from using technology, like the player, uh, Mark Baldwin, is that who it was? Mark Baldwin, yeah. you, you just mentioned that, that, you know, showed up at 1:30 in the morning and mapped the golf course. So you can gain a, a, a lot from doing that. Um, and all right, I'm just uh, I'm well, carrying well, on too much, Mark. I'm going to say, you know, it's good. Just, but I not agree just in with the you. elevation.
2: But again, this is like just adding on to that. How to use satellites. I was on doing one with a tour player just last week, walking him through a course. And I was like, well, this bunker's not that bad. And he's like, how can you tell that? I'm like, well, look how long the shadows are on these right. trees. And then that lip doesn't have a shadow. And he's like, yep. oh, and once you just start understanding the shadows and the dynamics of it all, you can really tell a ton. I mean, and again, where the architecture lovers won't always be like, well, you can't tell ridges and this and that. And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm coming into it with a basic assumption that the hole's not stupid. And (laughs) so in order for the ridge to be so big that I have to think about it, it's so important. The ridge would have to be absolutely absurd and that will show up on Google earth. So in fact, yes, I can tell any ridges that are actually material quite easy and you'll see differences in the, in the color of the grass and, Shadowing and everything. Yeah, this the set, only, the Google the biggest, Earth is amazing.
0: It is, but the biggest thing that's missing on Google Earth is you cannot tell what the architect intended you to do on Google Good Earth. Point. So, I mean, I hope they add that feature in some upcoming versions because I, if
1: I knew that, I mean, sky's the limit. Yeah. Golf's completed then, isn't it? It's done. So, yeah. yeah. It's over. <laughs> so learning distances definitely is a massive fallback from lots of amateur golfers. I do think lots are even, they don't think they can learn them because their variables are too big, but you're still going to find trends and patterns in there. So definitely learning them will only help you. Um, Let's just, we've got three more to get through. So let's, Just go this one i find amazing laying up to a yardage now i just want to put it out like if if you you know if there's a cross bunker or you know there's out of bounds that is 60 yards short of the green and it literally is on the you know the side of the green and it's two yards off the fairway yeah you might like lay back to a yardage to avoid trouble but laying back to a specific yardage often the hundred yards one is called that i hear people say is just a strategy and approach play I see people getting quite wrong quite a lot. i got lots of people trying to tell me at the moment they try and chip the ball below the hole you know they're trying to chip it short the, the big slopes on the green, so they want to chip it basically further away is what they're telling me which I find just amazing um, and then we I do get a smaller group of people who are saying like they're trying to lay up to a yardage what the dangers are trying to lay up to a yardage. Let's say you've got one, let's say you've got one seven five into a green, and you're going to try and hit it to like eighty yards because you don't want to go for it. Or let's say you've got two hundred and fifty yards to go, so you can't reach, but you want to get it to a hundred yards. You don't want to get it to fifty yards. A bearing in mind. Let's let's just take it as given that we know there's there's trouble that you can hit that you're trying to avoid the trouble. If avoiding the trouble avoidance is making you lay back, then fine. That that, that kind of works. Um, what do we think of laying up to a specific yardage, guys?
2: Well, if the PGA Tour shot pattern on number 15 at Innisbrook was 50 yards deep from 195 off of a flat piece of ground off of a tee, that means if they're trying to lay it up to 100, they're going to get it somewhere between 75 and 125. Next point, what's number four? Yeah, exactly.
1: I think the general figure as well. People think they lay up and then they're guaranteed to hit the yeah. face. And so not only are they laying back, they then also don't hit the fairway and they're now in the rough or a fairway bunker. And if you look at the stats of amateurs in fairway bunkers, it's not a pretty sight. Like, why why are you making this harder for yourselves? I don't get it. Go on, Lou, sorry, what were you gonna say? I think that,
0: that you know this general statement applies all the time. Advance the bar, advance the ball as far as you can, as often as you can, making sure to take into account penalty strokes. And, yes. and penalty so, strokes being the very, very, right. very big key of that statement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And but I I can't tell you how many times I've seen people. You know, 230, 240, and they want to lay up to their favorite yardage. And they, they hit a 130 yard shot, and then they hit a 100 yard shot. And their scoring average, if they did that every single time, if that's all the golf they played, is going to be a lot higher versus the person who advances it as far as they can, getting it down there. Sometimes is it going to work out great for you? Yeah. Sometimes is it is it going to not work out well when you when you advance it as far as you can? Yes, but if you play that situation a thousand times, advancing the ball as far as you can is going to work out a whole lot better than, than – um, you know, laying up in that situation. And the, and that's amateur, the thing
2: is, go on, Scott. Go on. The US amateur next week's at Oakmont. And I was making the packet for the the players that I've got there just today. And I, I literally said, you're going to see this basically on 18 straight holes next week, which is where the driving decision tree from decades. So I really did do a ton of math to solve this thing mathematically. And then a kid, uh, Chad Merzbacher from the University of Tennessee said, you could make that into a decision tree. I'm like, that's actually a really good idea. And the decision tree off the tee, it's essentially the same idea of laying up to a certain yardage on whatever hole, but it's when you work your way down through this tree and you, you get to where the, any of these clubs are going to get into the pinching hazards, the, the the languages, it's unlikely you should drop back to a two iron or hybrid unless the hole is short and you'll be left with a wedge or less. And the reason that is that it becomes less important is because from 80 yards, the average score is 2.75. And from 120, the average score is 2.85. And so if you, you, it's only a 10th of a shot, which I want you to get it as close as physically possible, but it becomes a little bit less important if there is hazards, rough bunkers that yeah. really materially pinch the fairway in uh, as you go further up. But aside from that, then it is get as close as you can, because the finishing of that is, unless you're the hole is short and you would be left with a wedge or less, as a result, you should probably just hit driver since three wood doesn't remove the trouble either. And that's the point of Well, I'm going to lay up with a six iron instead of a four iron. That's, I'm going to lay up with a three wood instead of a driver off the tee. The math is so straightforward off the tee. And it's the exact same logic um, as as laying up with a shorter iron to get a different distance. Just, yeah. I mean, I always say,
1: yeah, I always say to people, it's just as far down as you can, keeping it in play. And people then go, yeah, if I try to do it as far down, then I eat out of bounds. Yeah, well, then it's not in play, is it? (laughs) Like, as far as you can in play. Like, if it's a, seven iron and then an eight iron why not try and hit a six like a six iron and a nine iron like that that might actually get you lower scoring or like a five iron and a wedge you don't have to hit a seven iron and a seven iron um so as far down there in play laying up to a yardage i mean i've got proximities from certain handicap groups from amateurs from like 225 to 175 and it's like 30 to 40 to 50 yards without me looking at the exact numbers for different handicap brackets i mean You're trying to lay it up to 100 yards. You could be 150 back in the rough, 150 back in the rough. Like you are now not really, I mean, you're taking hundreds from there.
2: Yes. Dang it. My COVID just got me. I had a great point I was going to make. What was it? something Lou and I were talking about just the other day. Dang it. My COVID just got me again. It'll come back. It'll come Ah. back.
1: Laying up up to a yardage, obviously. And that's the other thing I find as well. What people say is they, they then quote a specific hole Like they show, they'll ask, can you just show me the hole? And I think, yeah, you know, laying up on that hole is fine because like it's a 10 yard gap, like that you're hitting a fairway wood into. That's ridiculous. As far down as you can in play. That doesn't mean when you get on the next par five or par four where you've got, Two fairways in its 120-yard gap that you still try and lay up to a hundred yards. You you try and get closer. Um, yeah, so try not to hit those yardages and getting as close as you can in play, definitely a stronger strategy. Coming up short, we've touched on it. Let's touch on it a bit more. Coming up short, I did a test recently with me, another pro and a eight-handicapper. It's a very windy links course. And we tried not to come up short with our approaches like we did. Like we really tried not to come up. You had to get the pin eye or beyond. And if you didn't, you had to bring your ball off the front of the green was the game. We played it for like three hours. And I'll tell you, it's really hard to do. Like it's not easy to do. And watching a nine, seven, eight, nine handicapper do it was really interesting because their strike was so varied that like to get them averaging past the pin, you would have to be almost playing a 50 yards too long a club because their variance <laughs> is so big. And if they have this, if they actually connect with that club, it literally is like that's going to kill the people on the other hole. Um It was an interesting game we played, but coming up short is definitely a massive problem for your are pg oh, i would have crushed that grounders.
0: game i was i was blading wedges 50 yeah. yards over the green all day
1: i had i got that all day and well because we played a really windy course as well so as soon as you throw wind in there it was like wow 160 into the wind i was going up to almost like a you know i was like a 220 yard club to make sure i got past the flag where when i was hitting like a seven iron to a 19 degree hybrid to go like the club I felt safe to one that would get past. Face. It's an interesting so, game to play.
0: Yeah, it not it? Do you think it's tougher for you as a slow swing speed player?
1: No, <laughs> no I don't at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I think it's tougher for people who might have bigger variants in their strike. Lou, how's your strike going? Not as good as yours. <laughs>
2: Oh man. So this is why I'm glad short, I don't play golf.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> coming up short, sure, definitely trying to play things like backyardages, trying to make sure. I mean, I do a thing at the moment which to try and make sure I I'm finding I get close to the hole um if I take more club and hit it easier. I'm where the person I play with a lot on the videos, he can't do he won't he won't play an extra club softer. He would always Not always, but nine times out of 10, he'll go one less harder is his approach. Um, And just working out if you're that style of golfer can help you find your distances, like we talked about earlier, and help you push those distances up. I find it much easier to play, let's say I've got 150 out, which is a nine iron for me. I find it much easier to hit like a gentle eight. And that often gets me up to that hole and beyond where if I play my nine iron, it's there to slightly short. Um, and often my strike improves a little bit more when I'm hitting more clubs soft than hitting the, like a, the club to a little less hard, where the person I play with is the complete opposite. You give him more clubs soft, it's a pull draw with it, and it just goes for miles. He'd rather it, the nine iron hard to get up there. Just finding out what kind of, where you are on the spectrum with that as a style of golfer can help you push those approaches up to up to pins Good. and beyond a bit more.
0: Are we going to talk about wind next, or were, were we yeah, you can put to... wind
1: in there. I mean, coming up short. Yeah. I mean, it's really connected to learning your patterns, slopes, and wind. What I find with slopes and wind is people, um, because they have bad understanding of dry ball data. I call it so. In the studio, dry ball from a controlled mat, nothing between the club and the face, flat lie. You know, you you do their their gapping testing, and you can see they're just. No, Scott was saying earlier, their numbers are just not right. They're basing it on bounces and rolls and they play a par three that's 180 and they have a seven iron there well it's downhill when it's bounce 20 um you then go and throw wind and sloping on top of that and it just adds more variable and generally it's variable that makes people come up short um, yeah what, so
0: a good can i give a some yeah. good rules of thumb around yeah. wind uh, so if you're playing into the wind just a rule of thumb this this really it depends on a lot of different factors but if you if you had to create a rule of thumb. Uh, add about if you're playing straight into the wind, add about one percent uh, for every one mile per hour of wind, uh, yeah. and that's one percent of whatever your distance is. So if you had a hundred yard shot uh, into a ten mile per hour wind, um, you would add, you would play that as one ten. Um, if it was a two hundred yard shot, you'd play it as two twenty. Yeah. Um, if it was a twenty mile per hour wind, that hundred yard shot turns into one twenty. And then when you're downwind, uh, use about a half percent. So reduce it by a half percent. So if you had a hundred yard shot, um, with a 10 mile per hour wind behind you, um, a half a percent, uh, per mile per hour of wind would be five mile or five yards of, of, uh, of help. So that 100 yard shot would play like it's 95. So just some general rules of thumb and
1: yeah, there's a lot of that. things that go
0: into that, but uh, yeah, it's one mistake that I see people make a lot when i play with them you yeah. know we'll be playing in a 15 mile per hour wind and it'll be dead into us and, and they'll you know they'll play that like it's a, you know half a club more uh or when they're and they just come up even shorter when it's into the wind because they're playing nowhere near enough so
1: Yep, play like more that. club yeah absolutely the other thing as well to remember i always used to say to students when there is wind blowing, and i don't know if you've looked at stats of this on tour but you certainly saw it in hand, handicap golf when it used to be the old system in the uk we used to have a thing called the buffer zone did, did you have that in america so um let's say uh what you call your scratch of the course that sets level par 70 but you would have a buffer zone so two over or three over par which you don't your handicap doesn't go up or down with uh and the and the numbers would move subject The wind was one of the ones that always would make that number go way up amateurs just struggled to score to their handicaps as soon as you blow the wind so the other thing i used to say to amateurs which was really interesting is imagine managing their expectations which i see you post a lot about on twitter lou as well golfers would go out and they're thinking they're going to shoot the same scores in wind just no, because they, close, and yeah so. and just because they know the one percent rule that you're talking about there which i love and it's great it's a great rule of thumb that doesn't mean you're still going to hit it the right distance because unfortunately we don't live in a wind tunnel 15 mile an hour wind there's never on a day where it's measured at 15 miles an hour the chance of you hit every one of your shots and it's blowing 15 miles an hour is really slim there's going to be 10 there's going to be 25 because there's gusts certainly in the uk and links courses it's it's not a constant wind there typically typically
2: whatever the predicted wind is the the gap the, the potential window of wind is about that big. That, and yeah. that's what I say in my seminar. So if it's blowing five, it's blowing really like two to seven, 10, it's blowing five to 15 and 20 it's blowing like 10 to 30. I've Absolutely, got a video yeah. of Dustin Johnson from the U S open at Shinnecock, where as he's over the shot, getting ready, he's taking his practice swings and the wind gauge pops up and it's at 10. And then as he's addressing the ball, it's up to 17. And then right when he pulls the trigger, it's 22. Yeah. And it's off the left in a, a 12 mile an hour, different wind off the left then what you were planning for is a big problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, I grew up playing links courses in amateur golf. You play big tournaments in the UK it's generally all links courses. You have to be skilled with the wind and you just, you would just move your expectations. And even the good amateurs I used to play with who would still go out there thinking that one under one over level par is a bad score. And I used to just think, honestly, no one's shooting more than three under today. Level par is going to put you in the top 10, just like stop throwing your clubs around. Like, it's harder when that wind blows yeah for sure there's nothing that impacts scoring more than wind yeah absolutely absolutely um so coming up short try and push it on find out what kind of style of golfer you are, are you better in more club soft or do you want to play the number or do you want to hit less hard their styles that i see people change their patterns of strikes on and that's the biggest thing with with coming up short i mean generally it's variance of strike when you talk to an amateur golfer i can show you strike patterns from thousands of different amateur golfers and the biggest pattern you see is as their handicaps go up the strike pattern becomes more scattered across the face and as you come down the handicaps it's more in a much more condensed area as a mass as a whole that allows them to get pretty consistent ball speeds which then in turn allows them to judge those distances a bit more so always working on your strikes is never a bad thing uh last one then not keeping stats the amount of golfers who don't look for the trends in their game who want to do 19th hole anecdotal chats about their game i played really dead i played really well today but i couldn't part i played really well today but i couldn't hit this club i played really well today but like a car went past and beeped its horn and like just collecting stats i think as i know you two guys are you say it in every pod but the more i work with The amateurs I work with, with the stats that they're collecting, we just see massive free gains constantly across all parts of the game, not just approach. They've never really looked at or thought about. Um, I know you always say that in every pod, Luke, uh, collecting stats is only going to help them find their trends, isn't it?
0: Yeah, collecting stats is important. I mean, it, it, it's more than just approach play. It, it's the entire game. So collecting your own stats helps you identify what you're good at, what you're bad at, and what you need to work on. Um, and around approach play, um, it's, a, it's a pretty important part of the game. So I don't care at the end of the day if you're using a napkin to, to track your stats as long as you are, are getting to tracking stats. And if in an ideal world, you're tracking shot level detail, um, so you have your, your strokes gained for each category and, and that way you can truly understand what's going on with your game. Other than that, you're just guessing. I know we, we talk about this probably every other podcast beating a dead horse, but it is a very important part of the game and, and doing that for yourself. If you're serious about getting better is, uh, is critical. I think that
2: last statement is, is the key. If you're serious about getting better, like if right. you're just out there yep. to drink beer and have fun, knock yourself out, like I'm not, Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, the, Hey, I do that too. But they're and collecting is, stats
1: on how many beers they drink. That's and that's a good thing to do as well. <laughs> yeah, but that's but not the, a problem. The, the,
2: the really hard part about it is it's just vague. So you you don't know like when you're out there practicing putting, you feel like you're getting better. Like you might be getting worse technically, but you at least feel like you're doing something proactive. Tracking stats and then reading stats it just doesn't really, in your brain, it doesn't just draw a direct correlation to I'm actually improving right now. But as I, I mean, again, I'm not just trying to sell memberships here. I, it is the easiest thing on the planet to do if you want to shoot lower scores to just track a little data and yeah. just find out your tendencies. It is so simple to improve. I mean, again, 10 to 25% of your handicap literally overnight just by understanding your game more and how to then apply that out onto the golf course. I mean, it's just so simple. It's mind-boggling.
1: Well, if you look at every part we've talked about here, you would know the answers. So, learning your patterns would show up in stats. As in, if you fade clubs, draw clubs, hook clubs, top clubs, those kind of things. Um, learning your distances shows up in stats. That's one of the biggest, like, simple things. When anyone picks up one of the new, you know, stats packages or GPS or anything that they use, and they 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 come on my Twitter feed and say, "Oh God, I can't believe how far each." club goes on the course and that shocks me i thought i ate it this far and that kind of far. and um, all the points we're pretty much mentioning here in the first four would be blaringly obvious if you are collecting just any level even basic levels of stats
2: there we go i remembered i remembered what it was go on what was it I actually, <laughs> I like it actually that. factors everyone's in i wrote it down hanging, over here
1: everyone's it, been I, hanging on at the edge uh, of their seat wondering what this, it was go for it one more brilliant
2: point um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Alluded a great uh stat a couple years ago and i don't remember the exact numbers but i remember the generality of them and it was the top 25 strokes gained approach guys versus the people who lose their cards and the percentage of shots they get past the hole you know not just in regulation because then we're not factoring in the t shots in the trees and other junk it was purely I, i don't remember what it was specifically it was like 101 to 200 so we eliminated 270 where dj can get it past the hole. we made it where everyone on tour can get it past the hole here and it was
0: from the fairway too i believe so uh, was it wasn't just yeah. the fairway i was yeah, thinking it was fairway sure.
2: fairway and it was like the top 25 in strokes gained approach were like 42 or 3 percent and the guys that lost their card was only like 35 percent and it's yeah. easy it to the hole, past the hole you know on shots that everyone on tour and the cynics that i've told that stat to they always are like well, sure they hit it more solid i'm like nobody on tour clanks it so bad that they're i know
1: that one always baffles me just yeah, stand they're... on any tour range the biggest thing with a tour range is even no disrespect to anyone on this podcast if we stood on a tour range with a sponsored bag looking the part with logos on our side people would stand behind the railings and go oh look at them no, then no one on tour is scraping it along the ground no. like they're all ripping it and it's just like. a
2: better fundamental understanding of how their shot pattern interacts with the hole and the target and again the front hole locations it just it just goes through the roof and i I feel like wasn't Tiger in one of the categories like forty nine point nine percent or something ridiculously. Yeah,
0: he he definitely was the uh, uh, way ahead of the pack. And and DJs
2: sure. DJs was like forty three percent, and the additional yards shots that he gets it past the hole brought his average delta to pin high. It was like four yards closer to pin high than the guys that missed the cut. And it's I mean that's twelve feet. It is so huge when you just huge. think of centering yeah. your shot pattern. Twelve feet better over the hole. It's just it's it's unreal. And so, as
0: a as good players, what what do you think? Uh, do you think they're uh, just making poor decisions? Do you think think that they're playing for that's the 80th what
2: shot? I, I believe yeah. they're playing for the 80th percentile shot, and I believe especially the front hole locations because you. The, and I tell the, the caddies that I work <laughs> with, like literally, stop saying it's one fifty-five to the front, one sixty to the pin, because when you do that, they are trying to land at one fifty-eight because they're trying to make birdie. 155 plus the baseline number of eight is 163 that's the only number they need to know because 163 is materially different than 157 or eight and it can totally impact them thinking well i need to flight an eight versus just hit an eight and or you know obviously whatever the club is and so i just figure out those numbers and and again depending on how far the pin is on the green you have to be comfortable hitting it past the hole the only way you're going to hit 70% of the greens. Again, whatever the, whatever those numbers were, the only way you're going to get your front greens and regulation up seven or 10% more to match the back pins is by hitting more club or hitting the the more appropriate shot. I, I would venture to guess. It'd be interesting to see what the middle back pin location might be a little challenging on this, but I would bet you if the numbers to middle pin hole locations they should be somewhere between the you know 57% and 71% that the 160 to 180 benchmark right. is yep. i would almost guarantee you that if you took the balls all of the shots that are that are the days to the middle pins and just with a little bit of programming hold them out to the front hole locations the scoring averages would drop between 0.05 and 0.1 shots i mean it would be it would be material and that's literally getting back to the game of playing every pin, you know, like there's no whole, you know, there's no flags or we're playing every shot to the middle of the green to front hole locations, playing every shot to the middle of the green, even on tour would probably be a net winning strategy. I, I would be stunned if it's not.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah No, I, I agree with that completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would lie. Yeah. If I was a caddy, I would lie to my player on every approach shot. Dude, yeah, I'm telling you, be I That would be an interesting dynamic,
1: course. wouldn't it? That's a, that would be such an interesting dynamic. I should, I'm going to try and get a tour player, like a, one of the Strixon crew, and um, we could do a video where I caddy for them, and I'll just lie every approach and see what happens. It'd be a fun video, wouldn't it? I mean, these uh, are the yeah. little edges,
2: honestly. That I you got
1: I... two hundred and thirty. here. Oh, yeah? <laughs> that's gone in the house. Sorry, bro. What would you What would you say to
0: me if you caddied for me? How, how, how...
1: You do. I don't know. Where's the cart girl? How, how yeah. many beers are we having after this? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I really, do.
2: I shouldn't, I shouldn't tell my competition this, but hardly I doubt to, I doubt they're listening to the podcast, but I, that is one of the places I plan on trying to exploit for two years from now. When I try to play the senior tour is this understanding of front hole locations and and just a better overall understanding of getting shots past the hole. Yeah. I think that's it's huge. huge. They,
0: they stink huge. to front pins. It's just yeah. free money.
2: I really do believe it's just the free. You don't, I don't need you to get better. I just need you to understand your shot pattern better.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah free sure. games isn't it excellent thanks guys as always thanks for listening everybody hope you enjoying the pod let us know with a review down below hit those stars as always hit us up on our social channels if there's anything you want us to specifically chat about as well i see you every week posting on our twitters. thanks for all the support as always have a great week and we'll speak to you soon bye